We're at the American Humanist Association Conference in Chicago, and we're here with John DeLancey. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself, sir? Well, I am indeed John DeLancey. Cool. <laughs> Good. One for one. <laughs> <laughs> and you're an actor, and you're here to receive the Humanist Award for the Arts Question For the Mark. Arts, right. Congratulations, right. by Thank the you. way. Thank, Thank you, you for, for yeah. coming. Yeah. Um, so let's go through. So you are known for Breaking Bad. I know you from West Wing, because I literally just watched that episode two days ago. It's fine. Um, what else might our listeners know Well, you from? probably Star Trek is the part. Oh, that's yes, I've yeah. never seen Star Trek. We're very big sci-fi nerds, as you could tell. Yeah. He's never seen Star Wars, though. So Anyway, so people know you from which Star Trek? Um, Next Generation, um, The Voyager, and Deep Space Nine. One of the reasons I know you, because, like Jessica said, so I I normally don't do uh, sci-fi stuff, but I saw this amazing video you made for the Openly Secular Project, where you came out and said you're openly secular, and I realized, I wonder if that's a different type of challenge when you work in Hollywood, when you work in movies, TV, do you run across a lot of people who are not very religious? Do you guys talk about religion when you're on set or uh, taking breaks on scenes? Not really. I mean, the, the uh, uh, actors do not normally spend a lot of time with each other. We, are, we, we do a job. We get to know each other. Uh, I just finished doing a play in Cleveland at the Cleveland Playhouse, and I was there for two and a half months, I think it was. And I get to know people well then. But when you're doing a, uh, a TV show, certainly coming in to do guest star roles and what have you, it's, it's really mostly the work. But also the community of actors tends to be generally a, um, a more liberal sure. uh, community. What sort of, uh, especially when it's something like Star Trek that has this kind of myth, uh, a secular myth of sorts, I wonder, uh, was there anything about the roles you, the role you played there that just connected with you on a personal level? Well, um, Gene Roddenberry was decidedly secular, um, and Star Trek is, in fact, uh, a secular show, a, a humanist secular show. Um, the irony is, oh, and I should say, and so am I, and the irony is, is that I play a god. <laughs> so, so there you have it. So, how do those themes play out through it on a sci-fi stage? Like, is that does the sci-fi aspect of it give you sort of the opportunity to explore bigger themes that are more metaphorical than direct? Well, it isn't so much about w- w- what it gives me. I mean, these things are written. Sure. So, so uh, it's it, that would be really a writer's question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the answer is yes, yeah. and um, and um, I think that what uh, Gene came up with was the canvas at the time, all the way up until 1965 or so, had been for many many years had been westerns, in other words, human stories told uh, against the backdrop of westerns. That was the canvas, mm-hmm. but that had sort of come to its end and people were looking for another canvas to paint on and he really ushered in the uh, the sci-fi canvas in in, a, in the most popular way i mean as a kid this is 1965 i know as a kid in in the 
late 50s, I was really attracted to science fiction. But to be able to bring it on to, uh, onto the, you know, into television was a big deal. As someone who has done Shakespeare, as someone who's done the, the classical actor's repertoire, and going to Star Trek and doing this wide variety of acting, uh, what is the difference between the type of roles you might play uh, in something as classic as Shakespeare versus something that you might see on TV today? Well, it, it, it doesn't... The medium is not the issue. You can do a bad play... Um, a bad television show and a bad movie. I mean, not not well written, or you can do really wonderfully well written shows. I mean, so it's not really the medium. Uh, some of the people, some of the uh, people have asked me over the years is, well, well, why would we see so many actors, let's say, on Star Trek, but also have seen them on? L.A. Law or or the West Wing, uh, you know, and then Star Trek. What what is the connection there? The connection is is that these are really word heavy shows, mm-hmm. and so usually actors who have had some theatrical experience, Shakespeare, are more accustomed to being able to handle heavy word oriented shows. So you're saying Gilmore Girls is next. What's that? Gilmore Girls is next. Just yeah, rapid right, fire right, everything. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like we're kind of in the middle of a, of a television renaissance. Like Absolutely. Talking about Breaking Bad, and I guess West Wing is no longer, hasn't been on the air for a sec. But you're right. They're so word-heavy, and they're thematic and interesting. and Because really, TV does give you an opportunity to dive into a character the way you can't really accomplish in a movie because... Right, and that has changed now with uh, Netflix and Amazon mm-hmm. and what have you because now, and, and the way in which we watch shows, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they can, first of all, they don't have to uh, adhere to a, 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 a broad audience mm-hmm. uh, spectrum of tastes. They can really hone in on something. And then if they find something that works well and, and, and it is really slotted for a, a, a narrow audience, then what they're doing is creating many of those shows, putting them out all at the same time. And it's just changing the way in which we are storytelling. Is it better as an actor now because there are so many opportunities, so many different venues for shows, or is it worse because the audience is so fragmented? Well, it's not, I mean, you know, better or worse. It depends. Listen, if you are a 20-year-old, 25-year-old guy or a 25-year-old woman, you're going to be working more Mm -hmm. than if you are my age. I went through that period of time, and and then during that period of time, I worked a lot. Um, now they're just, they don't have roles for 65-year-old guys quite in the same way. So when you say, is it better? Well, it, it depends. Most actors, most of the time, are concerned about the work that they're doing and hoping that they will have some work when they're finished the work that they're doing now. And, in, and so you, you sit not in the middle of a circle where you go, oh, well, now it'll be a movie and the next thing will be... No, you sit on a kind of a railroad track hoping that there's going to be a train that you're going to be able to jump on. With all the people you've worked with, what do you think defines someone who is a successful actor or a good actor who 
what is it about the good actors you've worked with, I guess, that makes them so accessible and never lacking for work? Well, I don't know of... Uh, frankly, I know of very few actors who um, are never lacking for work. Um, um, it's such a huge question what you've just asked me. I mean, the fact of the matter is is that you could do a brilliant piece of work in a brilliant show, and if it's not seen, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Or you could do a sort of a mediocre job in a show that is extraordinarily popular uh, and, and a media and, and could be still even a mediocre show and still be extraordinarily popular and you have a meal ticket for a long long time there are many many tremendously talented actors who do not work nearly as much as they should and what's the solution to that if is there one is it just we need more writers we need more opportunities and and that'll be solved, or is that just that's the downside of acting? Well, that's just the downside. I mean, there are many, many, many actors, far more actors than there are roles and, or jobs or, or anything like that. And uh, so, um, uh, you know, being able to eke out a, a living and, uh, and then maybe get a little bit further along and, and really, you know, be in a where you you are truly a professional who only does the acting is um, is is tough and it also requires it requires skill it requires luck it requires tremendous perseverance. Do you have a preference for theater versus? I mean, I know you said it's it's about the writing, it's about the product. Do you? Given your choice, would you say, I want to stick to theater, or I like to do television, or I'd rather do a movie? Do you have something that you like, or do you like to change I, it up? I, I, I don't have a preference. No. I mean, you know, frankly, I guess my preference right now is tasty morsels. Okay. I, I don't want to be involved in a show that lasts seven years. I mean, oh, my God. <laughs> um, and uh, I just finished a show, which was, as I said, I think it was two and a half months long, and, uh, you know, the first eight weeks were great, but the last <laughs> two, it was like, oh, it's time to, it's time, it's enough, it's time to move on. Right. So let's talk about, um, I guess, why we hear humanism. So you consider yourself a humanist, an atheist? Do you have a label that you prefer? I, I don't consider myself an atheist because I never considered myself a theist. Okay. So I, I think that that's self-explanatory. Sure. So you... Didn't grow up with religion. I didn't, and um, as a matter of fact, I'm doing a speech tonight, which 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 sort of follows that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, um, I uh, uh, so go, go on. Ask me the ask me what, what your I'm so sure what, what label your, would you use, or does it not matter? I, I don't really think of of, of a label. I mean, uh, you know, I I have no problems with any sort of religion, as long as it's not politicized. Uh, seemingly, some religions, once they get politicized, seem to bring in a lot of superstition and, and um, ignorance and bigotry into the, into the proceedings. Um, so that's where my biggest issue is. And frankly, my, my biggest issue, I guess, is, uh, is really... Um, where, um, 
where there's, there should be any discussion about what science education is. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on the road around the country with a play about the scopes um, monkey trials. Inherit the wind? No, it, it was... Um, <laughs> Fail. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. we tried. Uh, it, was the, it was the actual trial transcripts. We did the trial wow. transcripts. Um, what uh, were you? I, I was Clarence Darrow, and Ed Asner was, um, was William Jennings Bryan. Really? Yeah. That'd be a good show. It was a wonderful <laughs> show. It was a wonderful show. And um, it was really surprising to me to find how many people were, um, uh, you know, thought the earth was created in 4004 BC. I mean, I had sort of heard that as, I, at the time, I thought, well, that's just kind of a really bizarre mm -hmm. sub, sub, sub group of, you know, flat earth remnants and things like that. And it, so, and that, and that was very concerning to me. And it's still very concerning to me because I don't think that these kids, um, that are, you know, they are, they are not at the age of consent, and they're given a lot of disinformation, and then they go out into their adulthood, and they, they, they're, first of all, they're not prepared to see the world as it is, and um, they go through a fair amount of disillusionment, or more to the point is that they get kind of thrown overboard uh, because most of the world doesn't operate this way. You understand why so many people, at least in the community we're in right now, uh, do label themselves as humanists or atheists and why it's important to them, though? No. Really? <laughs> I, th I mean, I think part of the reason is when you're surrounded by so many religious people and you're not religious, they're kind of... And you're... Yeah, and when you're surrounded by a lot of people who are religious, you... It helps to have a label, I think, to, to say you're part of something. Uh, it doesn't mean you're part of any specific community or anything, but I remember when I stopped being religious, that word atheist held meaning for me only because this seems to describe something that I am that very few other people are. And when I met other people who use that same label, I don't know, it felt special in that sense. Like, I know something about you. And I probably know the kind of journey you've taken, uh, even if I don't know much else. Well, I'm not that attracted to, to that. I mean, You're not alone, by the way, in I, that. I mean, I just don't really feel that that's particularly necessary. Because there are oftentimes um, labels which, um, which you might not want to be uh, have tacked on you. So I, I just don't... I just not that interested. And although, and then there's another thing is that you, you were saying, well, when you were religious yeah. and then you became not religious, I didn't go through that um, flip-flop. I just, it was not, it's not been an issue for almost as long as I can remember. That is exactly what my wife says, too. She didn't grow up religious and the word atheist means nothing to her, right. even though it would probably fit, but right. it, yeah, it doesn't, she doesn't describe herself that way. Yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up religious either, but I think part of it has to do with the fact that I can use this word in PN, and it's a kind of a shortcut to say, like, a lot of things about me. But it's also about people who grew up in a small town or in the South or somewhere where being non-religious isn't just a... It's not just a nothing thing. It's dangerous, frankly. And I think, to me, I use the label not 
only because it describes my set of beliefs in terms of God, but because I want to put myself out there as like, hey, I am this person who doesn't believe in God, I am this atheist, and guess what, I'm not a monster, and if your kid is an atheist, that's okay too. And, and maybe it's over an oversimplification of things, but I don't know, that's my thought. I've heard from plenty of people who get labeled as atheists that they're like, eh, I don't even see the need for the word because we're not a unicornists either. <laughs> but in a world where so many people believe this stuff, it makes sense to have a label to describe that other side. Well, it seems to me that it's a word that comes with a fair amount of baggage. Oh, yeah. Sure. Presented or slapped on you by the pe actually the people who aren't particularly... Um, you know, fond of the term. Fond of you. No, fond of you. <laughs> oh, or yeah. fond of, of atheists. So they go, ah, oh, you're an atheist. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think part of that, I like that, because I get to tackle that stigma head on. Yeah. So that, that's part of why I enjoy the word. Well, that, you know, that, 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 that's, that's fine. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I just, it's a, uh, it's an open, opening gambit that I I'm not particularly interested in. What sort of reaction do you get from Star Trek fans who see the show? It, it means a lot to them for secular reasons or otherwise. What sort of feedback did you get when you were on that show uh, that really meant a lot to you? Um, probably the thing that, I can, that comes to mind right off the top is that, and I'm seeing it now more because I've I've, my, it's been 29 years since I did my first show, is that um, this show provided families a opportunity to share so that I meet people who say, this is my mother or this is my father, and we would sit down and watch the show together when I was young. And this is my child here. And we sit down and do that. So three generations. And so because these, as I said before, are teleplays, they are, they're word heavy, they're about ideas. Star Trek is about ideas, it's not really about action, yeah. right? Um, it was an opportunity for for uh, these three generations to talk about issues that were essentially humanistic issues um, and to talk about them uh, together and to share something and to have time that they experience together that they really um, cherish. Do you think we still have shows like that now? I don't know. I'm not a big watcher of things. Um, I know that because there are so many shows, I mean, when I was a kid, there would be three shows, three, three channels, okay? So if you went to school the next day, you could say, oh, did you see, you know, whatever, Star Trek or Have Gun Will Travel or, or something like that. Now that doesn't, I don't think that exists quite in the same way. Uh, certainly movies that they, they can share, mm -hmm. but um, it's much more uh, fragmented now. When, what season of Breaking Bad were you on? Was it the second season? Second season. Second season. So when you stepped in, it wasn't 
the phenomenon that it became. Right. Because it really started taking off mm-hmm. around that time. Mm-hmm. What was the buzz around that like? Did When you were making that, did everybody, did it feel like this is going to get traction, people are going to react to this, like this is... Yeah, you when you walk onto a show, you can tell whether it's a sort of a run-of-the-mill boilerplate type of show mm-hmm. or whether there is buzz. Mm-hmm. And you know it almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And there's no question that they knew that they were doing some something special. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came on Breaking Bad, I went, ooh, this is, this is special. How did you tell? Well, I mean, you can just, uh, there's a, people are, are, are um, at the, they're sort of at the top of their game. There's a lot of attention to detail. There's a lot of, um, uh, of um, desire to get it right, mm-hmm. to really, you know, to really sculpt the scenes to make it special, mm-hmm. as opposed to just, look, uh, did, you know, let's finish the day. Did you yeah. get all the lines out? Are they what was written? <laughs> is it, you know, is it halfway decent? Let's move on. But so, the, I mean, the way you're saying that, it sounds like those boilerplate shows, if they had those people who could put that attention to detail, they too could be at the top of their game as well. It, it seems like there's a lot more than on that. the writing. Yeah. It, it just depends on... T- uh, on t- you, you could put a lot of detail into material that is really not good and it um it it just doesn't hold the weight of of a lot of attention Mm -hmm. um uh and then you know there are shows i'm not going to even mention them but i mean there there are shows out there you just kind of go oh my god they're just they're just it's just junk so what are your coming plans now what are you working on in the future well, as I said, I just finished um, this play, mm-hmm. and um, I am directing a um, an opera um, in a couple of weeks, uh, the workshop of a new opera in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then I am uh, enjoying my uh, two children who live overseas are coming for a big family thing, which will eat up uh, about three weeks in July and and then August I'll start looking around for more fish to fry as it were. Have you directed before? I've directed a number of times. Yeah. And what what do you, you mean learn TV about TV shows? No, no. Okay, uh, what do you learn about from that side cuz you've now been then many times on both sides of the fence. What do you like about directing that you may not be able to get well, from the, the acting? Well, d- the difference the difference that I like about directing is that you you get to see you, you are creating the whole, and your responsibility is the creation of that whole, of that whole picture, the, the, all, all the components. So um, whereas a, as an actor, your job, your responsibility is to do your job as best you can and to fit in and to make the project work, but you're, you, you, you are not fixing other people you're not fixing the writing. You're not making choices on the costumes or how the lights go or, or, any, or you know, any of those other things. You, your, your job is to, is to be um, very singular and to do what you need to do. Whereas the director, of course, it's, it, when, if it's a, an opera and a big one, it's like being standing in a three-ring circus. Do you have a background in opera? 
in music in general? Um, I do. Um, my father was involved with the Philadelphia Orchestra, oh, so wow. I, I sort of grew up, I, not sort of, I grew up around classical music. Uh, I'm not a musician, mm. but I created a lot of shows for symphony orchestras, um, sort of theatrical shows oh, that included um, um, uh, symphony orchestras, included a lot of music, mm. mostly a, that would give context to music, uh, you know, what, how, what was going on when Beethoven did the, his Fifth Symphony or, or the Rite of Spring, what that was like. And, and, um, and, and then I also um, was the host of the, uh, uh, of the uh, children's concerts for the, uh, for, for the LA Phil uh, for, I think, I can't remember, three or four years. So, yeah, yeah. Excited, then. Yeah. That'll be a fun project. Well, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations again on your no, you're award. Welcome. Oh, well, and, and thank you. Thank oh, you. Yeah, yeah. Our pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye.